0: Let's pray together. So, Lord, we come to you now. We do need you. We need you every hour. And yet, what an amazing thing it is, so sitting here listening to the voices of your people that while we sing to you, declare our dependence on you, by the blood of Jesus, you Rejoice over us with loud singing. You love your church, and you rejoice over it, not because of the great things we've done, but because of the blood of Jesus. What an amazing thing it is that while we pray to you, Jesus intercedes for us. And so we come completely dependent, completely desperate for your presence, and very confident that you'll give it. Because of Jesus. So come now and work among us through your word, by your spirit, for the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, in our our text today, as we kind of continue to walk through Acts, the stories just get weirder and crazier and more exciting as we go. But what we see, what really stood out to me in the text this week, is we see a group of people, first and foremost, Baptized in the name of Jesus, and we see demons who recognize the name of Jesus, but they don't recognize other people. And then we see the the name of Jesus praised through all of this. And then several times throughout this, we see the Lord mentioned. And so, as we've walked through this book of Acts. One of the questions to ask is why all this emphasis on a name? Right, Acts 4.12, there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Well, it's because a name calls to mind the very essence of that person. Right, a name calls to mind the very essence of that person. So I'll give you an example. When I hear the name Kelly... It's not just a word to me. Right? When I hear the name Kelly, there's so much meaning that comes. Right? Partner in this life. Greatest gift of God to me outside of Jesus. Mother of my children. The person I am most safe to be completely me around. The comforter of my soul in hard times. A spiritual hero to me. Best friend that's what's in a name right do you get what Luke is doing what he's trying to do is he keeps saying the name Jesus right as I hear the name Kelly meaning and memories just wash over me and Luke the author of Acts is always giving us these accounts where Peter and Paul and others speak the name of Jesus. And that's because behind the name is a person. And it's the person that we've heard several times. David talked about it. Nick prayed it. That Savior, he's king. He's friend. He's treasure. He's Lord. He's the one who came and lived the perfect life. We could never live. By grace, he died the death that I deserve to die, that you deserve to die for sin. By grace, right, he was raised up, conquered death once for all, ascended on high, is reigning, sent his spirit to keep working and teaching and intercedes for us even in this moment. That's who Jesus is. In this moment, if you said, What do we need as a church most? What I would say to you is, We need to meditate on the name of Jesus. (laughs) Be caught up and, and just completely taken in by the name of Jesus. Meditate on it. It's that name, Jesus, that offers rest for our souls and abundant life now and forever, regardless of circumstances. It's that name, Jesus who made all things with his Father. It's that name, Jesus, who promises to never leave us or forsake us. It's that name, Jesus, that we can gaze on the glory of God in his face and actually be transformed into his image. It's in that name, Jesus, that is our shepherd who leads us to green pastures. And still waters. He restores our soul and walks with us through the valleys of this life. It's that name, Jesus, that pursues us with goodness and mercy every day of our lives. And it's that person, Jesus, that reigns over all things and promised to go and prepare a place for us that we could dwell in his house forever. Do you love the name of Jesus? Don't you love the name of Jesus? One of the main points of Acts, right, from chapter 1, verse 1, is that you would see behind every story in this book who is really working and teaching through his people for their good, the glory of his name, and the salvation of the world. And as he works and teaches in Acts, in this story today, Pastor David in our prayer time said, this is an action-packed text. What we're meant to see is that there's no power ...or person that can stand up against him... ...and that he's worthy of our trust... ...and our obedience... ...and our repentance. In other words, by the end of this book... ...we are meant to love the name of Jesus. We're meant to just love his name. To trust the name of Jesus. To have the name filled with meaning... ...that washes over us. And so as we read this passage today... ...I've been praying... ...that you would hear the name of Jesus... ...trust the name of Jesus... And love the name of Jesus as we leave this place. So let's dive in to point number one as we look at his power throughout this text. And point number one is the power of Jesus and the giving of the Spirit. Verses 1 to 7. So you remember last week we saw that Paul planted... And Apollos watered. Paul had gone to Corinth and Ephesus, and then Apollos had come in after him. And the point of that story that we find out in 1 Corinthians is that it's God who gives the growth. So our call is be faithful. Plant, water, and pray that God gives the growth. And so as Apollos moved on to Corinth, Paul comes back to Ephesus. And Paul finds some what he calls disciples there, and he asks them, have you received the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they say, well, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. We were baptized into John's baptism. And so Paul teaches them that John baptized with the baptism of repentance. Telling people to believe in the one who would come after him. Jesus, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And so likely what what Paul does here is what we see him do with many Jewish believers, right? Many believers who had that background. He probably unpacks for them that Jesus was the fulfillment of all these promises. Jesus is the, the Savior, the Messiah, that John was talking about to turn to in repentance. And after this explanation, they're baptized in the name of Jesus. What is baptism, right? It's just confessing all that he is for us as Savior and Lord. And then Paul lays his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit comes on them. They begin speaking in tongues and prophesying. I would call this the Asian Pentecost, if I was going to name what's going on here. The Spirit comes to confirm that indeed Jesus is real, he's risen He's reigning, and he is confirming what they believed about him. He's their Savior. This is similar to Acts 2, if you go back and read Acts 2, or Acts 8 in Samaria, where we see the Spirit fall in a particular way as a confirmation of what has happened. In other words, the Spirit's confirming King Jesus is here, and he means to save a people. King Jesus is here, and he means to save a people. Watch out, Asia, because he's about to overturn a bunch of idols and sweep his way through this region. If you've ever ordered off of Amazon or something like that, about two seconds after you're done, you get a confirmation email, right, confirming your order went through. It's on its way. This is what's happening. This is like that. Jesus is real. Indeed, he will deliver and he is now with you, and he's in you. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, and he will keep you. And Jesus will work and teach in power through you by the Holy Spirit. This confirming work, which you can just imagine. Right, it's, it, it's harder for us to think about the significance, but you can imagine hearing about Jesus, all that he is, all that he's done, how comforting it would have been to have immediate confirmation. He's real. He's with me. He'll go before me. So what we see here is the power of Jesus in the giving of the Spirit. As we've walked through Acts, one of the things I've been meditating on is simply the gift of the Holy Spirit. What an amazing gift He is. If we have the third person of the Trinity dwelling in us and among us as a people, we should have great hope for our endurance in the faith. Shouldn't we? I mean, if we have God, and it's really God, if the Holy Spirit's not just a force or a presence, but the third person of the Trinity, God himself dwelling in us, shouldn't we have great hope for our church? Shouldn't we have great hope for the Great Commission? Shouldn't we have great hope for a fight against, the, against sin? Doesn't the Holy Spirit want us to endure? Doesn't the Holy Spirit want us to be holy? Do you think he does? He's called the Holy Spirit. Doesn't the Holy Spirit want other people to hallow the name of Jesus? And if he wants all that and he's God, shouldn't we have great hope if he dwells in us and among us that he might just do it? We shouldn't, throughout the book of Acts, forget the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is working and teaching Acts 1-1, and he's going to send his Spirit that we'd be his witnesses who endure and hallow his name. Point number two, the power of Jesus in the preaching of the word in verses 8 to 10. So Paul has just had this Asian Pentecost, this new falling of the spirit this new gospel work you'll remember back a few chapters ago god said you can't go to asia don't go to asia i'm not letting you go yet so for whatever reason this is the time the gospel's now breaking in and he goes where he always goes to the synagogue and he preaches and teaches for a while there some come to know jesus others become hostile and it's through The people of Jesus preaching the word of God that the gospel always spreads. In other words, in verses 8 to 10, we see the most usual way that the spirit of God works for the glory of Jesus. And that's people like me and you saying the gospel to other people. People like me and you bringing the word of God to bear in the lives of other people. In fact, this is one of the main reasons that the spirit dwells in you. That you might know Jesus, but also that you might make him known wherever you are. Right? If, if we weren't mainly here to help other people know Jesus, we could just get saved and get wished away. <laughs> wished away to heaven right away, we'd all be happier. But we're here because the way God intends to work is by his spirit indwelling a people who take his name to the ends of the earth. In fact, you could actually argue by the grammar and by the summary of this passage that this whole passage the falling of the spirit the synagogue and the repentance and the power that we see in these strange stories coming up is all a story of the victory of jesus christ through his word by the power of the spirit and the reason i say that is because of verse 20 that summarizes this whole section it says so the word of the lord continued to increase and prevail mightily what's increasing what's prevailing the word of the Lord is increasing and prevailing. Notice a few things about how Paul speaks in verse 8. Notice first that he speaks boldly of the kingdom of God. And what I want you to see in the boldness is not, oh, I'm not bold. I wish I was more bold. What I want you to see is if you trace boldness throughout the book of Acts, there is no natural boldness we have received. All of this boldness is infused and empowered by the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's not that Paul's so bold. It's not that Peter's so bold. It's that Jesus keeps his promise to send the Holy Spirit to empower his people wherever they need boldness. So if you're sitting here and going, I'm not bold. Pray for it and trust it will come when you need it. Notice also that he reasons and persuades... He takes his time and he seeks to hear their thoughts and their reasons with them. And then he tries to persuade them. This would not have been a popular place to do that. Ephesus was this place that had so much pride in this god Artemis. And All of their city and all of their culture and much of their economy centered around this idea. And so to go and reason about another God would not have been popular. You think it's not popular now here. It would have been much less popular there. But here I think we see an example of bold and winsome proclamation that seeks to see people be persuaded that Jesus is God. That Jesus is Savior Right, this is not closed-minded or hateful. This is what every Christian is called to do if we really love our neighbors. If we really love those around us. Kids, I'm going to talk to you because I want to get to you before you get really scared. Before you become like your parents who are really scared to talk about Jesus. Right? You meet kids at playgrounds and on your teams and at school, and many of those kids you meet don't know Jesus. Many of them don't. What if you started telling people about Jesus? What if you just started telling them that He saved you, that you love Him, that He helps you when you're afraid? Isn't that a good way to love them? So for you kids, I just want to help you right now in your hearts and your minds, before you develop any bad habits like all of us adults, to realize that wherever you are, you're there for Jesus. Wherever you are, you're there for Jesus, to, to know him and to make him known. And you're not alone. The Spirit will be with you if you've trusted Jesus and help you be bold and help you talk with other kids. The Spirit empowers all of this, and the Spirit cares more about the glory of Christ than we ever could. So we don't need to step into these situations in our own self-sufficiency, but with a humble confidence that King Jesus works by the Spirit as we preach his word to others, that the gospel is truly the power of salvation unto all who will hear. And I'll tell you a secret now. This is the part that scares adults. Sometimes people believe. We celebrate that with baptisms. We rejoice in it. People come to know Jesus. Everyone in here that trusts Jesus heard it from someone else. Everyone in here heard it from someone else. But the scary part is that sometimes they don't believe. And sometimes they don't like you very much anymore because you talked about Jesus. And sometimes, like here in the story with Paul, they even start saying evil things about you that aren't true. That's what happens here 2,000 years or so ago. And that's what will always happen until Jesus comes back. Some will believe and others will not believe. But he's worth talking about, isn't he? Isn't he worth talking about? So Paul moves on here after they start speaking evil and it starts getting a lot of conflict at the synagogue. And he moves to what was probably a lecture hall that he rented or someone gave him to speak in for a couple years And amazingly, at the end of these two years, it says that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. All the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And I've just been praying this week, what would it look like for the South Campus here in in Lakeville, Minnesota, to boldly and winsomely, as long as God has us here in this place, what would it be like to, to teach our neighbors, to love our neighbors in such a way that 20 years from now, Or maybe two years from now, like Paul was one guy. We're a lot of guys and gals. And maybe in two years it could be said, of all the residents of the south suburbs had heard the word of the Lord. Because we just say it and we just speak it. Some will receive it, others will deny it. But would it be that we've given many the good news and trust our Savior with the results? Point number three, the power of Jesus over the powers of darkness. This is where our story gets a little wild. Verses 11 to 17 are really, really interesting. In verses 11 to 12, we see that God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. In other words, if you touched an apron that Paul had once been wearing or a handkerchief that he had once been wearing or using, and you brought it to someone else, diseases and demons would leave. That's crazy. Right? I mean, this reminds us of the woman in the story of Jesus who just touched his garment and she's healed. That's, that's what's going on here. Diseases and demons leave if you touch an apron or a handkerchief of Paul's. And Ephesus was a place that practiced a lot of dark magic. Much of it centered around this worship of Artemis. And so there was all this dark magic, all this demonic activity in Ephesus. And we find out in this passage that it made up a large part of their economy. So it wasn't just spiritual things at stake, but comfort at stake, and their economy at stake, and their money at stake, right? You know people like their money and their livelihoods. So Jesus is threatening all of that. And the point of verses 11 to 12 is to show the power of God is unmatched. Disease, that can't stand up to the power of God. Demons, they can't stand up to the power of God. Artemis? Right. We're going to find out next week. They just were like, Artemis, praise Artemis, right? He gives us all these things. He's what makes us great. And Jesus is like, no. Artemis can do nothing. And then in verses 13 to 16, there's a pretty crazy story. So some exorcists come from a, a, a family with prestige in the Jewish culture, and they try to invoke the name of Jesus to cast out an evil spirit. In other words, I think what's going on here is they see what Paul's doing, right? And they go, we want in on that. That's going to make us some good money. Like, Paul's kind of a fool. He does all the temp making in the morning and the evening. But we can bank in on this, right? This is a, a people in Ephesus that love the miracles. They love the stuff. And we can get in on this. But what's clear is that they don't actually know Jesus. It says they've, they've heard about him. Which means that Jesus is not with them and the Spirit is not at work through them. They've seen the power of God through Paul and they want in on it, but he's not actually with them. So the good news for us, anytime we hear a story about demonic presence and and spirits in the Bible, the good news for us, we don't have to be afraid. (laughs) This story should not conjure up fear in us because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. This is not a tug of war here. But while that's good news for us, it's really bad news for these exorcists. Because the spirit is not in them. So the evil spirit answers them. Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. He's with Jesus a lot. But who are you? I wonder what that felt like (laughs) to those exorcists in that moment. And the man with the evil spirit in them leaped on them and mastered all of them and there was at least seven of them. So kids, I'm going to tell you a story. When I was little, I don't know if kids still do this. Maybe you do. When I was little, it was common for kids to say something like, "Well, my dad is stronger than your dad. (laughs) I don't know how many times we got into these arguments. Like I didn't know the other people's dads. They didn't know my dad. So what a (laughs) silly thing to do on the playground. But It happened all the time. My dad was stronger, um, but we would, we would boast in the strength of our fathers, right? And that's what this story is meant to show. It's not that Paul is strong, it's that God is strong. That's the point of the story. It's not that the evil spirits are weak, it's that God is strong. It's meant to show us our Heavenly Father is stronger than anyone else in anything else. I heard another preacher say that when you leave a fight without your clothes, you know you lost the fight. Right? And why this story, On all seriousness, why this story about how strong this evil spirit is right after the story about all that Paul is doing? It's because Luke doesn't want you to get the thought that the devil is weak. That's not the point. What Paul is doing is amazing and breathtaking in the name of Jesus because the devil is strong. Right, stronger than seven men, right, leaving them beaten and naked. So we see that evil spirits are stronger than any natural man, and it's not even close. And we see evil spirits are absolutely no match for the power of Jesus, like a handkerchief from a servant of the Lord. And all of this is meant to show us the absolute supremacy of the power of Jesus. That's the point. This is not a tug-of-war movie, right, where we don't know if good or evil will win. Jesus wins every time. Jesus is king. Jesus reigns. And those who are with him and in him are more than conquerors through the name of Jesus. That's what this story is about. So what happens in Ephesus as a result of this scene? Well, it says fear fell upon them all and the name of Jesus was praised. Why did fear fall upon them all? Because this evil spirit in this guy just took seven other guys to task and this evil spirit can't even stand up for a second under the name of Jesus. And that makes you tremble before Jesus. That's what's going on. You can imagine the buzz in the town. Imagine if you heard that in Lakeville. Let me just make two quick points with this scene. Number one, John Norris said it a couple weeks ago, but I'll say it again from this text. Satan is real. And Satan hates us. And Satan is behind much of our idolatry. Satan wants to destroy churches and destroy cities. And he wants to partner with us in our flesh to destroy us and those around us. He hates Jesus, and so he hates us. And he is real. And in America, we are maybe more than any other time because we can figure everything else out without a spiritual explanation. We are ignorant of his ways. We forget that he's at work. And this story reminds us that he is here. He is prowling. He is seeking to devour us. And we ought to pray against his works and his ways among us. In obvious ways, like oppression, demon possession but in the more subtle ways of his whisper in your ear of your shame or that link you're about to click on or that place you're about to go. Satan is here among us and wants to destroy us. Point number two though is greater is he who is in us than the devil. There is real power in the name of Jesus. Unmatched power. And it's power for instances of exorcism and the healing of diseases. We should pray for those things. It's power for belief to come to unbelievers. We should pray for those things. It's power to break the power of canceled sin and transform us into the image of Christ. And we should pray for those things with a big hope that our God is greater than all things. Last point, power of Jesus in the provision of repentance. So as the name of Jesus is seen as more powerful than any of this dark magic, those who had recently become believers <laughs> must have had this thought like, maybe it's time to get rid of my magic books. Right? I mean, can you imagine, you've come to know Jesus, you've still got the magic books laying around, and you go, um, yeah, I should probably get rid of those. He probably doesn't like those here. And so that's what happens, right? They, they have these sinful practices that they're, they're still in. Like, what a, what a picture of Christianity. We're not finished works the moment we believe. God is transforming us, and God is patient with us in this transformation. He doesn't strike all these believers dead for having their magic books, right? So you don't have to right away after service go burn all those CDs or whatever you might want to do. God is patient, but God is also severe. And God is also holy. And God is also powerful. And so sometimes in, in the Christian day and age we live and we think, well, we know Jesus... And therefore, we never have to tremble anymore because there's grace. There's grace for everything. But if you really know Jesus, you really know who he is, you really believe he's king, that's when you tremble. That's when you examine your life before him. That's when you say, is there anything, Lord, anything in my life that's not helping me worship you and be devoted to you? Because you're what's best for me. You're Lord. You're Savior. My favorite thing is when you just reign over everything in my life and all around me so they bring their books which are worth a lot and a lot and a lot of money and they burn them to show their Jesus, their allegiance to Jesus alone this is just what repentance looks like this seems extreme to us but this is what repentance looks like we turn to Jesus we see that he's the only place we can find our hope our salvation our true life We love the beauty and the power of his name, and we begin to turn from the other places. Notice there's demonic activity and simply fleshly idolatry here, but the power of Jesus overcomes them both. The treasuring of Jesus and the proper fear of Jesus when we see his power and we know he's real causes us to tremble before him, treasure him, and turn from whatever it is your particular sins and idolatries of choice are. I don't know what else is in your life right now that you think might be better than Jesus. And you never say that out loud. I get that. Like, I never say, hey, what's better than Jesus? You'd be like, well, let me give you my list. But, practically, what do you think is better than Jesus? Where does your heart begin to become anxious or angry? Follow that a little ways and you've got an idol. So I don't know what it is for you, but remember what I said last week. Faithfulness of God's people, including repentance, the life of the Christian is a life of repentance. Faithfulness happens when the people of God, by the grace of God, see the glory of God and live in light of that reality by the power of God. Where there's sin that we're running after, we're just not in line with reality. Where there's sin that we love more than Jesus, we're just not in line with what's actually true. And repentance is just an invitation to go, just come on into what's true. Come on into what's really beautiful. Come on into what's really life-giving and and joy-filled. Come on into the thing that after you do it, you don't regret it five, ten minutes later. Come on into eternal joy. Not temporary, deceitful joys. And this is what's happening Here, God's grace is poured out through his word and through these miracles so that people see the reality of the glory of God in the name of Jesus. And by the power of God, they live in light of that reality, turning from their evil idolatry, saying, I'm getting rid of my magic books. Jesus loves us too much to only have a portion of our hearts. Right? You you can't lock Jesus in a certain room of your life and say, could you not go in that room where I threw all the junk because visitors were coming, right? Jesus opens the door and goes, it's time to do some cleaning (laughs) for your good, for your joy. Jesus cares about his glory too much to allow us to mix worship of him with worship of other things. And so Jesus is always working in us to set us free from every other place we try to run to to find ultimate peace, Joy, comfort, popularity, prestige, and instead give us the freedom of glad obedience to him as our Savior and Lord. Isn't he kind to do that? Isn't he kind to always be pursuing us? So here we see a story of God granting repentance to the name of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. And when God grants repentance, nothing can stop it. Isn't that wonderful too? Isn't it wonderful that God grants Repentance. I've been praying that God would grant repentance today. Repentance is not a scary word meant to make us feel bad. Repentance is a sweet word meant to set us free to fuller joy and life in Jesus. So let's summarize just what we've seen. Jesus pours out his spirit, and the word goes forth, and the powers of darkness are overcome, and repentance is granted. This is what we need right now at Bethlehem. To love the name of the Jesus who does this. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin and comfort us in the rest we have in Jesus. We need the power of Jesus by the Spirit to overcome the schemes of the devil at work. And his schemes are at work. We need the power of Jesus to overcome them. We need the power of the Spirit to help us keep proclaiming the word of God to our neighbors and working in our own hearts and as it works in our hearts we need the power of Jesus to grant us repentance I've been praying we would see all we need to see and repent of all we need to repent of so that we can be set free to deeper life in Jesus that will make us bold and winsome to tell others about what we have in him do you want this do you want this This is not some weird story from a long time ago. This is ours in Jesus. Do you want this? And if you do, where we start is prayer. So I just want you to think of the way to summarize all that happened in Acts chapter 19. And then remember a prayer that was prayed in Acts chapter 4. And see this as an answer to that. In Acts chapter 4 it says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So we're going to take a few minutes right now, and I'm going to lead us through some prayer. So I'm going to have you bow your heads. Right now, we're going to get our hearts ready to come to the table of Jesus and ask him to fill us with his spirit. So I'm just going to walk us through a few things I want us to talk to Jesus about. First thing to talk to Jesus about is I just want you to talk to him and be honest with him about if his name is really precious to you. Is the name of Jesus precious to you? Does it wash over you with meaning? Or has it become stale? about the word of God. Is the word of God precious to you? When was the last time you prayed for a neighbor or for boldness? Where do you see spiritual battles happening in your life or in our church? Where do you see disease and sickness? Where can you ask for help from Jesus to work his power on your behalf and behalf of our church? Finally, and I'm going to give you the longest amount of time here what are the things that compete with Jesus right now in your life for your trust for your confidence for your joy what are the sins that are still clinging too closely what in this moment is Jesus by the power of the spirit asking you to turn away from and inviting you into deeper joy with him So, Lord, we've seen your name high and lifted up in this passage. Seen the power of your name. So, Lord, we do as we come now to eat and drink with Jesus, we would pray that you remind us that we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. So that Jesus would work and teach through us and give us boldness to proclaim the Word of God give us boldness to pray against all the evil forces in this world that would seek to undo us in this church and you'd give us grace to repent that we would be a people that by the grace of God lives in light of the reality of God by the power of God that we'd see Jesus as more beautiful more precious more strong, more trustworthy than any other thing we might pursue and that you would do the gracious work of bringing about repentance that would have us cast ourselves on him. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ.